Prepare your ears, humans. Happy, sad, confused begins now. Today on Happy, Sad, Confused, we begin the new year with Paul Walter Hauser in his first leading role in Richard Jewell. Hey guys, I'm Josh Horowitz. Welcome to another year of Happy, Sad, Confused. Yes, we're back. Took a little break for the holidays as we all did. I hope you guys had a great holiday, a great uh, New Year celebration. Uh, but now we're back to work, aren't we guys? And I'm, I'm thrilled actually to be back to work because, I mean, sue me, I like what I do. I know. It sounds gauche to say it, but I do. I get to talk to cool people. And Paul Walter Hauser certainly fits that bill. Um, I got a chance to talk to Paul a few weeks back, right before the holidays. I'm actually sorry that this is going out a little bit late in the cycle for Richard Jewell. It's still in theaters, um, so if you have the opportunity, you should check it out. This is, of course, Clint Eastwood's latest film. Uh, If you listen to the last episode of Happy, Sad, Confused, we had his co-star, the great John Hamm, on the show. And it was a real treat for me to have Paul... um, uh, on the podcast because I've been I've been following his work in recent years. If you've seen him in if you saw him in Itania or Black Klansman, he just he pops off the screen. He's obviously a great talent, and to see him get an opportunity like this and Richard Jewell to play this this leading character to carry a Clint Eastwood film and to not only um, get that opportunity but to live up to that um, that opportunity and to just uh, knock it out of the park as as much as he did is is thrilling. And I think you're gonna you're gonna fall for him if you haven't seen him on the big screen yet, you're going to fall for him in this conversation because he's just got a great spirit, a great attitude, and um, I I wish him nothing but the best. It was a real treat to talk to uh, Paul on the podcast. Other things to mention. Um, If you guys were in New York and you came out to the Happy, Sad, Confused live event uh, right around Christmas time, I thank you. If you weren't able to make it, all good. Uh, We put that podcast up recently as a kind of a special live bonus episode. Um, it was it was a blast, guys. We did our first, very first live uh, episode of Happy Second Fused. Uh, we had uh, David Harbour and Justin Long and Patrick Wilson. Patrick Wilson sang and, oh my God, brought the house down. It was amazing. Uh, all three of them were hysterical. It was a true highlight. You know, I'm, uh, I've done a lot of live events. I've moderated a ton of things over the years, but never like my own thing. Um, so... I actually had some nerves going into it. It just felt like a different kind of a thing for me. But um, it was proof that, you know, you should try new things and you should put yourself in new areas, even at my ripe old age of 87. Uh, and I, I'm, I'm, I was just so energized by the reception of the crowd. Um, we're definitely going to do more. There's some cool stuff that we're talking about. Um, so, Yeah. If you weren't able to make it, check out the, the podcast. You can listen to it at least. Hopefully get a sense of the energy that was in the room. And like I said, hopefully we're going to do more of these. Um, and again, my thanks to the crowd that came out, to the Bell House in Brooklyn, and, uh, and to David, Patrick, and Justin. Uh, I should say we had... We did some giveaways. We gave out some like cool like autograph stuff there. But we also uh, got a couple extra things autographed for you know we 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 were raising money for some charities for, at the event, um, and we're going to do the same thing for these extra kind of bonus autographed items that are still out there. So I've created a um, a happy sad confused eBay page where you can where we're doing an auction for a few items. So there's some really cool stuff there. There's an autographed um, making of Outlander book from the great Sam. There are some autographed Funko dolls of David Harbour 
David Harbour's uh, Hopper character from Stranger Things, autographed by David himself. Patrick Wilson autographed uh, a Aquaman Funko of his character Orm. Uh, and we also got, uh, separately, I just happened to like run into, or not run into, but I did an interview with Michael B. Jordan um, for his new film, Just Mercy, and got him and his fellow castmates to autograph a poster of Just Mercy. So we're gonna put all of that up. It's all up there already on eBay. I put it out on my social media, so just go to Joshua Horowitz on Twitter, and you'll see uh, the uh, eBay link, um, and we've got about a week left to that auction for all those items. So, you know, it's all going to a good cause. 100% of the proceeds are going to the NRDC, this great organization, so I encourage you all to go there, put a bid in, and support a good cause, and get a, a cool autographed um, piece of, uh, you know, memorabilia out of it, too. Everybody wins. Other things to mention. Oh, I know what I wanted to do. So I never did my t official top 10 list this year. I don't know what it was. I, I wasn't feeling the 10. I was, I was feeling the pressure. It was just, it never coalesced. But here's what I'm going to do. I, I have five that, I, that are like my stone cold classics of the year. So I'm going I'm to list those five in no particular order. These are my five favorite movies of the year. And then I'm going to do some honorable mentions. I know I'm a little late in the game, but hey, a lot of these films are still in theaters and people are just catching up to them. And we're definitely in the thick of award season. So I wanted to mention these films. It's just my, my favorites of 2019. Uh, Uncut Gems, The Irishman, Marriage Story, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and Parasite. Those are the Josh Horowitz five gems of 2019. Of course, Uncut Gems from the Safdie brothers, The Irishman from the great Martin Scorsese, Marriage Story, just love that one, Noah Baumbach, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, of course, from the great Quentin Tarantino, former guest on Happy Second Confused, former two-time guest on Happy Second Confused, and uh, Bong Joon-ho's Parasite. These are stone-cold classics I highly recommend. Other uh, films I just want to mention, honorable mentions of some of my other favorites of the year, Avengers Endgame, Honey Boy, Us, The Farewell, Blinded by the Light, Apollo 11, Booksmart, Britney Runs a Marathon, Midsommar, um, Joker, Jojo Rabbit, The Lighthouse, Ford v. Ferrari, Knives Out, uh, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, Little Women, and Pedro Amadovar's Pain and Glory, which I just saw. I was super late to the game on that one. So... The headline here is there's a lot of great stuff out there still uh, in theaters and on the streaming services. So there's my list of like, what, probably 20 films uh, worth checking out from last year. Um, it was a great year at the movies. So I, I've been enjoying uh, the award season because they're honoring films that I really dig. So a lot of good stuff out there. Anyway, uh, let's get to the main event today. Uh, Richard uh, Jewell is the film. It's in theaters still. Paul Walter Hauser is the guest. And one last reminder, remember to check out uh, my stuff on social media. That way you can find out the eBay link, Joshua Horowitz on Twitter and Instagram. And remember to review, rate, and subscribe to Happy Sag Confused. Spread the good word. Here's our first guest of 2020, Paul Walter Hauser. Paul Walter Hauser and I are just reenacting Philip Seymour Hoffman performances. Shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up. <laughs> are you threatening me, asshole? Sorry, can I swear on here? Yes, no, you can. Okay. You can very, very, Not that I'll welcome. go out of my way to, but... No, please do. I want you to just litter the airwaves Here we go, with... here we go. Dang it, crud. Oh, wow. Darn it. You're... Shut up, stupid. He's edgy, guys. This guy. It's like I'm George Carlin for... is in the house. I'm a walking Safety Brothers fan. <laughs> um, I'm dangerous. 
with a great score. Um, how you doing, Josh? Uh, thanks for coming in, buddy. Are um, you kidding? I, I love this podcast. I, I mean, I've only listened to five or six, but I really enjoyed them uh, thoroughly. That's yeah. the right amount. At seven or eight, you get sick of my voice. Yeah. I mean, let's You're already not, feeling it? Let's not draw this out like the Indiana Jones series. <laughs> let's, let's abbreviate it. I prefer to uh, think of the fourth film as something that never happened. It was just a fever dream that I had. Goodness. You know what? It's funny how nostalgia plays a part in our viewing now more than ever. Why do you think that is? Why doesn't this, why are we just like constantly reliving our yeah, our childhoods and, and wanting to go back? Because our parents, because the world is on fire and we just <laughs> <laughs> literally yeah uh, yeah no it's um because you got to look at our parents. I assume we're probably pretty close in age. So like if our folks grew up with the seventies era of movies, right? It's not like they were watching them going. God, I really wish this was more like a Rock Hudson film. Right. Like they weren't thinking that. Right. So it changed. Maybe it's because culture is changing with more rapidity now because of technology? I think there's definitely that's part of it. And I think it's accessibility also to our past. Oh, like sure, every sure. Every single thing that we lived with is yeah. available on our phones. So uh-huh. if you want to just have like that comfort, like neuron, like uh. neuron of like watching <laughs> Saved by the Bell for ten minutes, okay, it's there for you. Have you seen Zach Morris's Trash, the web series? No, is brilliant. This, is- <laughs> Zach Morris's Trash is a really fun, like sort of recap documentary on every episode of Saved by the Bell, and it just illustrates the. The deep dive that Zach Morris goes to be selfish and to hurt other people to get what he wants, you know. So, like, it'll just, it'll say, Zach lied to Lisa. Lisa got in trouble right. with her parents. Then Zach borrowed Kelly's car. And, and while borrowing Kelly's car, he lied to a nerd to say that he could get a date with well, Kelly. But, of course, then he took the date from the nerd. <laughs> and then he ended up leaving Kelly for so-and-so at the dance. And that is why Zach Morris is trash. <laughs> Zach Morris is trash. That's literally like I hope Mark episode. is listening to this podcast. Has he paid a visit yet? Mark Paul Gosling? Yeah. I don't know. He and I are those uh, three-name guys. We both use three names because we um, are hurting inside. Are you? Or is it because there is a Paul Hauser in, in SAG? <laughs> no. I was just telling the story to my buddy. I, I uh, grabbed drinks with this guy, Alex Moffat. Do you watch Saturday Night Live? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. He's such a sweet, thoughtful, talented dude. He, he almost reminds me of Chris Guest where he's like a normal guy who can turn on the funny to right. a large degree. But but he um, – I was telling him about how uh, – I was telling him – oh, wait. What were the we The name. Your, your three oh, names. Name. Yeah, yeah, the name. I was just telling him. I was like, dude, I, I only did it because I, ne- I never knew my grandfather that well. He died when I was seven. We didn't get to like hang out and have tons of memories. And his first name was Walter, and that's my middle name. So in seventh or eighth grade, I think it was like 13, I decided to start putting it on my papers when you'd sign your name or whatever. Right. I just added Walter to Paul Hauser and, and just sort of married that because I, I felt closer to my grandfather. That's very you know? sweet. Yeah. I went I through, through like a week where I decided my middle name was going to be Max. Didn't stick. You had more fortitude, my Didn't friend. Didn't stick. What was, now, what was the, <laughs> so my middle what was name, the origin or impetus to wanting to My middle Max? name is Alex, and I asked my parents probably around that same age like where that came from, and it was from a, a relative who was named Max. I'm like, why didn't you just go with Max? Max is cooler. I like Max. Um, but wow, you I, were really malcontent. <laughs> Still am. Unbelievable. <laughs> I'm taking this opportunity to announce I'm changing my name to Maximilian. <laughs> That's how bad it's gotten. I need to be called Maximilian. Maxwell so, won't do. So you mentioned you mentioned Alex Moffat SNL. This was a big moment for you this past weekend, right? Oh, SNL was always that. the thing. Yeah, I that was my dream growing up. Uh, as recent as like four years ago, and. Um, 
And I, I did this movie with uh, Emma Stone, and she, she knew I was a fan of SNL, and she's a, a, a regular over there. So right. she's like, do you want to come with me and my fiancé, Dave McCary, to, to SNL? And I was like, are you kidding? Like, if I was in Bosnia, I would hop a flight <laughs> to like, come see you. Like, uh, so I went, and it just it felt a little too idealistic the way the night went. People were kind to me and talking about Richard Jewell. Right. I got to watch update out on the floor and watch the um, uh, uh, musical act. This guy, DaBaby, who I had no reference for, but he was like wildly entertaining, <laughs> put on a great show. And then I just standing out there, I got a little emotional. I had to like hold back tears while standing on the floor at Studio 8H because I just, it's hollow ground to me, you know. So was, who were your guys growing up who were the SNL guys oh, who man. put on the pedestal? Uh, I had great affection for Dana Carvey because he was so consistently good. Yeah. Uh, and and then I also had love for the people like Chris Parnell who would just hop in and like make yes. something better. He was almost like putting garlic in a meal. It was just like this will be better now. Yeah. Uh, and and could play the straight man and the silly. But but my guys are obviously my three of all time are uh, Chris Farley, Will Ferrell, and Kristen Wiig. Those are my That's the three of them. Like you don't need anything. Yeah, <laughs> three all of three them of those amazing. I could describe the same way as people that just like. They changed the chemistry in a room where Will Ferrell yeah. is just the funniest human being on the planet. I mean, I don't know if you've had the yeah. pleasure yet, but he's just like just in passing, no, just yeah. like a, a, a perfect spirit on this earth, and just makes you happier to be around. <laughs> yeah, he's um yeah. Mark Marin talks about him sometimes, where he'll point out like just he doesn't even have to do anything. No, he like does. His face is just like making you laugh. My yeah. my favorite random Will Ferrell experience ever was like I was, I was like. I think I was at an award show and I was walking by like the men's room and he walked out of the men's room and he saw nobody but me and he just made a fist pump and said, nailed it, as he was leaving the men's room just for my amusement. It's perfect. <laughs> I mean, I do stuff like that, but for my amusement. So like <laughs> I'll be in a bathroom. <laughs> like, I've done this so many times. I'll be in a uh, bathroom stall doing, doing the business and, and I'll be talking to a friend. And then they'll leave the bathroom, and I know that they've left, but I'll pretend that I think they're still there. And I'll just be like, God, it's just, it's tough being separated from my wife. Like, are we divorced? Are we separated? And I'll just go into that. And then out of nowhere, I'll just start making grunting noises and be like, but, but they'll be like noises that don't sound normal, where I'll just go, ha, ah, ah, ha, oh. There's somewhere between a bathroom grunt and like a vocal exercise. Right. And I just am dying to, I just want to scare the hell out of whoever. <laughs> So wait, did you ever get your SNL audition? Oh no, I just wasn't. I wasn't committed to a comedy theater, which is sort of the the go to. You got to put in like four to eight years, I think, at one of those places. Right. And I sort of. I also had a weird prideful thing where I didn't want. I didn't want an institution to take credit for my work. Right. So like, I didn't want UCB or, or Second City to say like, we we made this guy. I wanted to kind of right. do my own thing. And so your own thing for a while, and we'll bounce around a bit if you've heard sure. the podcast, you know I tend to do that, but sure. you did stand-up for a long while. Long time. Like 10 years, right? Yeah, like 16 to 28, I kind of was hitting it hard and, and doing, you know, bars and universities and comedy clubs, especially when I finally moved to a major city. Uh, and you know what? I recognized I was a good stand-up comic, but I wasn't great. And I think you need to be great to make it. I think right. if you're good, you can get away with having a, a part-time job and saying that you're on a lineup with Joey Diaz or whoever you want to sure. tell. But like, 
I didn't, I didn't. I wasn't willing to put in the love and effort it takes to be great. And, yeah. and I admit that. You know, I bowed out. So what were you talking about at 16 years old? On a, on a stage, stand-up-wise? Oh. oh, I'm sure it was just... I mean, it was stuff like... Uh, being being sort of tongue in cheek about like pretending my childhood was horrible, but it wasn't. Where mm-hmm. I'd be like, you know, uh, growing up, we had to share two pizzas between the six of us mm-hmm. and one liter of soda, like just like <laughs> pretending, like b- being stupid like that. Right, and then right. also, um, it was like um, observational humor, which of course at sixteen. You don't observe much, so it's like I'm sure it was pretty it was narcissistic uh, time in your life. Yeah, and you're like. Barely noticing anything. Yeah, it was like a five foot ceiling of material, and I was trying to stand straight, you know. Right. But right. um, but it, you know, I I gave a damn, and I, I tried, and I had I had a lot of good experiences, and and uh, it certainly shaped my confidence. Yeah. Because if you can do stand up in a room full of a thousand people, uh, you better be able to go audition for a guest star on a procedural, you know. Is, is that the best? Yeah. Is that is that the best byproduct of those stand up years in terms of helping your career where it stands now? Is it mostly in the in the audition process uh, as opposed to like being on a set does any of that stuff apply no I, th- I think the only thing that applies is confidence yeah. and and also I think I had a, a positive effect on comedians when I was around them you know I'm a pretty gregarious uh, uh, spirited individual for the most part you're right. catching me at a more tired depletion moment uh, <laughs> you're doing uh, pretty well but um, but I think you know comics are overwhelmingly sort of dark people right. with with sort of loud, pronounced problems that they tend to attach to more than they need to. Right. So I, I feel like I, one of my favorite things I got out of it was just trying to love people that I could tell were living in their brokenness a little bit. Yeah. Okay. So so let's we'll circle back around to this is your life, Paul Walter Hauser. But let's talk about <laughs> Richard Jewell a little bit because RJ <laughs> um, from the people who brought you three ninjas <laughs> and Dunstan checks in. <laughs> Did Clinton Clint do Three Ninjas? Jewel. I forgot that that was on his resume. Well, he's sort of a ghostwriter on all those right. films. You know, <laughs> right, right. It's like big, when like, Tarantino did, like, uh, yeah. uh, what was the uh, Crimson Tide? This is his Crimson Tide? <laughs> yes. Three Ninjas? No, I, um, <laughs> yeah, no, that movie, that movie came about in a really crazy way. I knew about the projects, but I knew about the project more than the story. Right. So, like, I didn't really know the story because when it happened, somewhere in 96, I was probably nine and a half or something. So, I knew about it because I, I loved Jonah Hill and Leonardo DiCaprio. And right, and they were they attached. Were doing it. So yeah. I was like, this movie's going to be dope. And I was just like excited about it like anyone. Right. Uh, so so then you hear they drop out, and you're like, oh, hmm. It was like, yeah, it was a matter of... I, I took a meeting, and I'll never forget this because it was... I think it's pretty wild. I took a meeting at Fox with this uh, really nice guy named Mike Ireland, who was an exec at the time. I'm not sure what he does now, but... But this was around the time that I think Disney bought or was circling Fox. And I knew the project was there. Right. And I said to him, I said, if Joan ever drops out, I'd, I'd really love to be um, considered for the role. And he kind of, you know, smiled and nodded, kind of like, uh, not not dismissive, but kind of like, yeah, well, it's Joan and Leo's movie, you know. Right. Um, but I was just putting it in his ear or whatever, just saying, like, you know, throwing it at the wall, seeing what sticks. and. And sure enough, Disney buys Fox, then it becomes a Disney project. And of course, Disney is not hyper-concerned with adult dramas, especially ones that are like sort of in development limbo. Right. And then I get a call when I'm in Thailand doing a Spike Lee movie for Netflix called The Five Bloods. I get a call that says, hey, um, you know, Clint Eastwood wants you for his new movie. And I'm like, to do what? Like, what is he? Does he need someone to play, you know, 
a, a Muppet that turns into a man? Like, what the <laughs> hell does Clint want with me? Which, by the way, would be amazing. Um, don't, don't say no to that. Not on my, don't think it's not on my radar. Um, but, uh, but they go, no, he wants me to play Richard Jewell. And I immediately I'm like, oh, my gosh. I pitched myself for Richard Jewell. Like a year ago in the Fox, you know, offices. Crazy. You manifested it. Oh, well, that's given. <laughs> I think that's given me uh, more credit than is due. I'm pretty sure I give that one to God. But, um, but yeah, I, I, I was entertaining a really lucrative TV deal. And I say that because you have to know where I'm at in my career. Yeah. I've never made like real money. I'm not famous where I get like stopped on the street all the time. I'm just someone that people are like, oh, he did a, he did a pretty good job in a couple movies that mattered. So, I'm offered this insane lucrative TV deal at the same time I'm offered Clint's movie. And Clint's movie is not an offer. It's a verbal offer. So it's, hey, he's trying to get the movie from Disney to Warner Brothers. It's, uh, it's looking good, but it's yeah. not for sure. And there's a ticking time clock where the TV people want to know if you're going to choose that or the Eastwood movie. Because they now know about the Eastwood movie. And I'm like... And part of you has to also be like... Because you obviously, you know, you love this business. Like, you read about this stuff. You're like... I know the value of my name. Are, is, this, is he going to be able to get the screenlit with my name attached? Of course I thought that. Or is it one of those hiccups where he has to apologize to me when they do get Jonah or somebody else? You know? Right. So it was um, – it could have been really nightmarish. I eventually just – you know, I was, I was battling sleeplessness and a bunch of really tough things while I was in Thailand. And uh, it's 3 in the morning. CAA and artists first call me and they go, hey, we, we need a decision. And I go, you know, my dad's a preacher. I, I'm, I'm sort of, a, I'm, I'm a pretty big Jesus guy. So I was like, you know what? The Bible talks about you can only operate out of fear or love, and perfect love casts out fear. And I was like, I, I think fear would tell me to take the money and do the TV show, and I think love would tell me to work with Clint Eastwood. So I said, tell him we're gonna pass, and let's see what the Eastwood thing is. And then I had three weeks alone after making that decision. And the TV show went to a good buddy of mine who's very talented. And I'm like, did I make the right decision? Wow. I sat with that for three weeks in Thailand in a hotel alone. And uh, it was a very dark, isolating moment. But, of course, when I got back to L.A., I went to the Warner Brothers lot and found out this is happening. Amazing. Okay, so when, when, you, had, when you had heard about this project, when Jonah and Leo were attached, I mean, what made you raise up your hand to say, hey, if... Jonah drops out. It could oh, be me. I just know these movie stars get busy, and I knew Jonah was directing his uh, directorial debut, and I, I and think, I hadn't heard from the project in forever, so I was just like, I, I, I'd love to be considered if it opens. But more about like what about that part? Is it was just surface like physical characteristics? Like I could see how I would be on oh, that list. Like hell yeah, I barely yeah. even researched it. I, I knew the brass tax broad strokes, and yeah. I just knew I, I was in that tonal vein of what they would need. You know, right? Okay, so. So wait, do you, uh, I'm unclear. Did you ever have to like audition or put yourself on tape for this? No, Clint just had an instinct. Wow. He was he was prepping a movie in Hawaii. He was literally like two months out from filming a movie in Hawaii, and it was about to cast and locations got that. And then he had been circling this in the past, this project. So his producer, producer Jessica Meyer, and his casting director Jeff Micklat, and I think his producer Tim Moore, like the three of them were just kind of talking about it. And Jeff Micklat brought me up because of Itania. And, uh, and I think he was friendly with some of my people. So he just, he just prints out a photo of me and they put it next to a photo of Richard Jewell on like a cork board or something. Right. And Clint walks in the room. They go, is that your Richard Jewell? Half kidding, half serious. And Clint just did that like squinty thing of like looking it over and peering over it and going, yeah, 
that's the guy. <laughs> Show me some tape on him, you know, like an athlete or something. He'll should... do just fine. Yeah. <laughs> he looks diabetic. <laughs> uh, no, so I, I basically just, you know, I, I he watched my demo reel, which had all these scenes from the show Kingdom uh, that I did a number of years ago. And he, I think, had seen Itani and Black Klansman. So yeah. he just, he pulled the trigger on me. Uh, in a loud way that I'm sort of forever indebted, obviously. Unbelievable. Okay, so so when you get down into getting into the nitty-gritty, what's the main challenge of, of this guy, of this role? Um, because for a lot of people, Richard Jewell, if they know him at all, it's they probably still associate him as uh, not necessarily a good guy. They, a lot of people still think probably he, he has something to do with that bombing. That's very true. They've misconstrued it quite a bit, and it's that it's almost like a game of phone where the message has changed over time. Yeah. But, uh, for, for me as an actor, I had never headlined a movie before. So it was uh, part of it was just tracking the character's story internally as I acted. So on any given Tuesday or Friday, I'm going, where am I at in the story? How should I feel based on the circumstances? How do I feel based on the things that have happened prior to this scene? Right. And how do I convey that um, in a realized pre- present tense way, you know? So that was scary for me. And uh, day, day, I just took it day to day. I remember not looking too ahead of the schedule. Right. Like there were scenes that I did on a, on a Wednesday that I didn't really look at until Tuesday afternoon. And I would make my decisions that night because the reality is such... The decisions I make five minutes before an audition or two days before a scene are the same decisions I would make 30 days before a scene. Right. Um, so to say, like, I prepped a lot is just to probably make me sound like a good actor. Well, and if anything, that sort of sounds like it, it jibes with the way Quint approaches things, which, like, uh, for anybody that that's, knows how totally. he directs, it's like two or three takes. It's from the hip. Like, a lot of trust. Doesn't Some call improv. action? Is that true? Still doesn't call action? No, he says go ahead, or he'll say actione. Um, <laughs> it's like the chillest set on the planet, apparently. Yeah, I think McConaughey would dig it. Yeah. He'd walk on and be like, all right, all right, all right. Get me some edamame hummus from the craft service, man. Um, yeah, no, it was cool. It was like, um, it was the kind of set every actor hopes to be on. You know? So do you, ever, do you ever ask for another take if he thinks he's wrapped after two? Absolutely. Absolutely, because I'm not tr- I'm not trying to f up his movie. I'm starring in a Warner Brothers biopic. Yeah. Uh, if I need another take, I'm going to fight for it. You know, yeah. um, for the good of the film and and to make sure that I'm. You know, there, there was this scene where I, I I'm in a diner. It's very emotional with me and Sam toward the end of the film. And I think I did like nine takes, like I really stretched it. Yeah. Um, and then Clint told me like a week or two ago, he goes, "The take we used was the first take." I was like, oh, my gosh. Are you <laughs> kidding me? Like, I don't know. Maybe I don't tr- I trust. Maybe I don't trust myself, you know? Well, it's hard know. to have that, like, distance when you're in the moment. Like, it's- Yeah, and you know it's pivotal, you know? It's not like I'm doing a half page where I got to walk up and pump gas. It's like I have to give the emotion of a culmination of circumstances. Yeah. You're, you're surrounded by this insane ensemble. I mean, yeah. the folks you get to share the screen with here are literally the best. Uh, Kathy Bates, uh, unbelievable. Uh, Sam Rockwell is a beacon of goodness on the yeah, planet in yeah, every way. Man. Not only is he a great actor, he's a great human being. Yes, um, yes. Talk to me about, well, what's your relationship like with Sam? Is that somebody that you're going to keep in your in the Rolodex for life? Yeah, and I don't even know how work-related it is. I think we're more bonded by our love of 
movies and our and our pension for like dancing and drinking and <laughs> fart jokes, you know, like we kind of just get each other and love each other. But um, I have to say about Sam, he was one of the guys, and I've said it in in interviews prior to like even Itania and stuff. Yeah, I said my guys are. Phil Hoffman, Peter Sarsgaard, and Sam Rockwell. Those are like my guys. Yeah. And if I could add more, it'd be like, you know, Mike Shannon and Paul Giamatti or John Goodman or something. So, like, I like these misshapen, uh, off kilter character actor types who end up doing lead roles in cool, like, meaningful movies. Yeah. And, uh, and that's what I always dreamt of and fought for, never knowing if it would happen or not. I would have been content with far less, but right. I'm, I'm thrilled it's moving in the direction it has. But I saw Sam at the SAG Awards January 2018. He was there for Billboards. I was there for Tanya. Right. Uh, but I saw him on the carpet. I'm like, I got to say something. So I got to go, hey, man, big fan of your work. Shook his hand. And I, I go, uh, and I said, I was like, Phil Hoffman and Sarsgaard and you, like, you're like my dudes. When I said Phil, he kind of gave a look of recognition. Because well, that's like one of his old besties, right? I didn't yeah. even know, though. Yeah. I had no idea they were buddies. Uh, so he gave me a hug, and I said to him, I go, uh, I hope I get to work with you someday. And he said, and with a weird little look, he goes, you will, man. I, uh, you, we will. And then a year and a half later, we're starring in a Clint Eastwood movie together. Amazing. How's your I mean, Sam Rockwell impression? Oh, far out. It's <laughs> awesome, man. That's awesome. Looking to go up to Toronto, see Bibbers. Leslie Bibb, my girlfriend, she's doing Doing a Netflix show. It's awesome. <laughs> That's what he's like. She, whenever I see him, I know Eddie, I'm like, what are you up to? He's like, yeah, I'm here with my girlfriend. I'm like, you guys have been together for like 3,000 years. Yeah. <laughs> just say a, life, mate. There must be a different word at this point. Yeah, <laughs> just say lifeblood. <laughs> say you're here with your boss. Say something. Uh, she, no, they're, they're, they're like the, the cool couple, totally. Like yeah. They're the people you want at your New Year's party or something. So did this all go by almost like too fast? You shot this like relatively recently, oh, too. F- forgive me, I didn't get to mention the other cast members, yeah. um, but Kathy Bates and Olivia Wilde and John Hamm, that was a thing of like signing onto the movie and seeing that they were getting involved was like amazing. Yeah. Like it makes you feel better about the whole undertaking of it. And then Offset, they were even... Even more generous. John Hamm one time picked me up from Whole Foods and like was just like, let me help you take your groceries to your apartment. Another time I was stuck at a bar in the rain and couldn't get a signal to get an Uber to leave the bar. And he just left his dinner in the middle of his dinner and came and picked me up. <laughs> uh, like that, that's the kind of people wow. I worked with. Um, so I just wanted to mention that. He's coming, he's coming in later this week, so I will convey oh, your utter disdain for yeah, his dreaminess. I, <laughs> Uh, I just, yeah, no, he's the he's the genuine article. That guy's a movie star on an offset. But um, nice. but yeah, no, uh, we we shot it late June to mid August. It was like seven weeks, maybe. Crazy. So it was absurd. It was like, <laughs> this really going on? Yeah, exactly. And then like you get there and there's no pressure and like Rockwell's pulling me aside, going, "It kind of feels like an indie. It kind of feels like a bunch of people just like making their science project together and goofing yeah. off." Because he hadn't like, done a Clint film either, had he? I don't think. None of them had. Well, yeah. John Hamm had a tiny, tiny part in like his a, first film or something. I think it was in Space Cowboys. Yeah, but none of us had worked with them. Yeah. Crazy. Okay, so what's it like at this point? Even I mean, you just did a round of press sitting next to Clint. So oh yeah. Is that is that a different dynamic? Because like when you're doing the work, you're like that's your job. That's what you're like. You know how to do that, and yeah. you're probably in a zone of some sort. Does it almost hit you in a different way where you're like because suddenly journalists are asking him about like. In the line of fire, unforgiven. Sure. <laughs> is, is it different to do? I guess is it just like, is does it? it hit you in a different way? Does that give you more of an opportunity to geek out as a film fan? 
when you're seeing him in that context? I mean, I sort of, I almost have trouble. I, don't, I, I used to geek out over people a lot, and then it kind of went away. And now I sort of geek out more when it's like a childhood thing. Like, like uh, if I met a professional wrestler from my childhood, <laughs> like if I met, I think if I met Steve Austin or like Sting, this guy, Steve Borden, <laughs> like if I met one of the Steves from back in the day, I'd probably bug out more than if I met right. Spielberg or, or, you know, I understand Barry Jenkins. But, um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, it's, it's weird to remember who he is because he's so grounded and humble then in the moment, you don't think about it. And then somebody walks in and they're like, so I'm 10 years old. I'm at the theater with my dad right. and you're a movie. Right. And you're like, oh, this guy means this guy means a lot yeah. to many people. And that's that's pretty cool. So what's the what's the sense? The, I hope you're taking a sense of satisfaction from this moment, too. OK, so like you, shoot, you shoot the film and like that's an accomplishment. But then it's yeah. completed. It's actually a great film. <laughs> you're great <laughs> yeah. in it. You're oh, being received. No, but yeah, and you're obviously getting like Absolutely. accolades for it. You're, you know, your face is on that poster. You're front and center, and check wow. mark. Like if that didn't happen, like it, and you, again, you're, you're cognizant of how this business works. If you mm-hmm. maybe give a C plus performance, maybe you don't get another shot at something like that. Very true. Right. <laughs> Are you are you sort of hinting at? By the way, I'm literally eating a Snickers from your desk mug, <laughs> and Snickers are very prevalent in the film. Spoiler alert! Spoiler alert! Um, yeah. You know what? I have enough confidence in my talent that when I signed on, I said, at the very least, I will give a grounded performance that has a personal stamp, and and hopefully Clint likes it. That was my only thing of like, yeah. It's not like I'm thinking about award season. Telling right. me like I'm not nominated for a Globe this morning right. is like telling me I'm not married to a supermodel. <laughs> like I kind of assumed as much, you know. Um, right. So, so for me, it was just God. I hope I can make Clint happy. I knew I'd make my actors happy. I'm an actor guy. Actors like me. I like actors. And I just didn't want to be over the top because a lot of characters I play in comedy or even drama have a penchant for sort of a scene stealery, like right. chewy moments. And uh, and I was like. One thing you're not doing on this movie, you're not chewing the scenes, but yeah. you're you're staying grounded. Well, when you're a lead of a film, when you're the protagonist, even if you're kind of like an outsider that's maybe kind of like shit upon by other characters, you're still kind of like you're the eyes and ears of the audience. Like they need to relate to you, they need to connect with you. Yeah, me and me and Kathy and Sam all kind of do that. Right. Yeah. Right. So So when did the shift happen? Did you was was there like an abrupt shift in terms of like Stand-up's been fun. You were alluding to this earlier, but there's a ceiling on this. It's not going to, I'm not going to be what I want to be. And a shift into like, let's, let's make, let's put all my cards on the table in terms of acting. Yes. I, I went from the SNL of it all and the, the stand-up of it all to booking Kingdom in 20, oh, what was it? 2014. Right. And by 2015, a year or more later, I was living off it and i was like whoa i'm a working actor but in a drama sense right so that was the real transition of going okay i'm going to lean into this right and make more time and and creative bandwidth for that rather than rather than go across town to do 8 minutes in front of 40 people right. and get treated like crap and and <laughs> like do jokes that don't even make me laugh anymore. So how long had you been out in LA then by the time you I've only been in LA 8 years off okay. and on. 
So I moved 10 years ago, but I left for a year and 10 months. Got it. So were you, before like Kingdom, for instance, were you still working other jobs just to make life livable? Oh, yeah, of course. I worked um, in LA. I worked at Cavalia, this like Cirque du Soleil show with like horses. I like worked as a tent attendant for VIP guests. I would like watch. <laughs> I would like watch like... Chris Pratt's table or Cher's table and escort them around and stuff like I did that. I worked at five guys, the burger place in studio city. Mm -hmm. I worked at a barbecue, short lived barbecue restaurant by Arclight called roadside eats. You know, I did a bunch of random stuff and just was trying to get by. At one point I was living with like three or four people in a two bedroom apartment in Valley village. And I was woefully unhappy like, I had a morning where I broke down and cried in the bathroom, and I told God, I was like, if you want me to be a, a mi- missionary or a teacher and teach theater, like, I'll do anything. I just, I, I remember saying, I was like, I feel like I'm dying on the vine. And right, and then I walked out and went to the audition for Kingdom. Amazing. And I ended up doing 25 episodes after that. Were, I, did you have, like, a, did you have friends that were successful actors that were trying to boost you up and bring you along for the ride or yeah early on I had people being real generous with stuff like that like Emma Roberts who I don't really talk to anymore I she changed her number and I haven't really like <laughs> I haven't really gotten a hold of her or anything I'll see her in passing every couple sure. years but like when I moved to LA Emma Roberts got me an audition for Scream 4 like she literally oh wow I just had a mind blow what happened <laughs> Get the paddles and he's having a stroke. What happened, Paul? Are you okay? Oh no, I just, I just, I, I, ha- I just had a moment. I just realized. So when I moved to LA, summer 2010, I was filming an episode of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, and I got a text from Emma Roberts and a phone call, and she said she was in a pre-pro meeting with the Weinstein's and like uh, who's Wes Craven and stuff right. for Scream Four. And they said, we have a role for like a comedic sidekick in Scream 4, and we're looking for the next Jonah Hill. And Emma Roberts said, she said to the Weinsteins, I'll tell you who the next Jonah Hill is, Paul Walter Hauser. And then I just realized Jonah was set to play Richard Jewell before he dropped out, and I did it. So Emma Roberts was like... (laughs) Emma Roberts knows everything. Weirdly prophetic. (laughs) No, but that's so weird. Are you kidding me? That's weird, dude. I just remembered that. I haven't thought about that in a while. <laughs> oh, that's weird. So anyway, yes, there were people who went out of their way to like, yeah. like this guy, Ryan Flynn, got me a writing job on a reality show. Like people were very helpful and, and right. helping provide opportunities. You've been writing also for a long while too, right? Yeah. Yeah. I've written about 19 features in the last 17 years. Um, I'm writing like a biblical adaptation with my brother right now, long distance. I'm developing a TV show that we're trying to sell this, uh, probably late, late winter with my buddy Owen Ellickson. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm always trying to do stuff like that, but it's, it's been a, it's been an uphill battle. Cause you know, it's, there's a difference between wowing someone in two minutes in an audition versus asking them to read 112 pages. Yes. Like it's, it's, it's uniquely difficult and dissimilar, <laughs> yes. but um, but I love I love the process. Like I'll never stop trying. Like even if it comes to the point where I do the Duplass thing and I make a movie, like like them or Lynn Shelton and make it for three hundred k or something. Sure, like, I'll do that. You know. So we only have slightly alluded to what probably for a lot of people would assume was the quote unquote big break. Kingdom gets you some good work, but obviously I Tanya really raises your level 
a significant amount and, and yeah. in an unexpected way. I mean, you didn't, I assume, think that that was going to turn into what it turned into. I knew it had the capability just because I know the industry enough to know, like, this will either be one of those movies that gets slammed or or it'll be... I, I knew it was either going to get shat on or loved deeply. Right. And it was definitely loved deeply. Um, uh, three Oscar nominations later, one win, you yeah. know, for Allison. So... So I, I just did it because I love the script and I love the character and I knew those people were dope. But I definitely thought it's a love it or hate it. Yeah. You know, and uh, and then when I saw it, I was like, oh, this is one of those like scary, funny, delusional performances. Like it almost the, what I was doing and I'm not patting myself on the back. I'm just making a comparison of like watching myself in that made me feel similar vibes to like John Goodman and Lebowski. Yes. And then people were coming up to me saying that comparison and I was like hell yeah like, <laughs> mission hell yeah. accomplished and by the way John Goodman wasn't nominated for his work in Lebowski no. and he easily could have been like he was that good yeah. so it's not really about those elevated moments of like of, of award season it's really about like hoping you stay consistently good right and and the guys I love the Giamatti's and Brian Cox's and stuff Mike Shannon they're just good all the time always good man. and can be in, frankly in like not great movies and still are Eminently watchable and good yeah. in them. And they it's elevate everything. Sometimes they, they elevate stuff that isn't that good. Yeah. It's cool. Um, I think the first time I met you, and I don't expect you to remember, it was like at one of these awards shindigs. It was, and you, you and Sebastian were hanging out. And I know you and yeah. Sebastian Stan are buddies. Oh, I love that dude. Yeah. Good guy. Um, what did you guys connect with, and why do you remain as close as you do? Why is he such a close bud? I think. You know, and I, he, I, won't, I won't speak for him, but as his friend, I think I noticed that he loves the work so much and is such a dedicated actor. But I think he's also occasionally exhausted by just like the the hustle and bustle of it all. Yeah. And so, like, what we do is we'll like we'll grab a drink or a dinner and we'll just talk for three hours and just like unload on each other. Right. Uh, and it's always comedic in nature of like making fun of the film industry. Yeah, not take the whole the thing too seriously to and just kind of fuck around yeah. a little bit. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, as actors, we, we, I think we pushed and pulled and got good stuff out of each other on that film. And we've, we've been, fi if there's any producers listening <laughs> or filmmakers, he and I are dying to do another movie together again, but we just want to make sure it's the right thing. We right. Wanna, it's got to be at the level of Tanya or better. It can't be less than, you know. Did he, uh, is he, has he put in a good word with the MCU folks, the Marvel folks? What's going on, man? Probably. He's been really generous with dropping my name to people when projects come up and stuff. He's he's a a real friend. But um, well, speaking of the of the comic book stuff, I saw your your kind of impromptu audition for Penguin. Uh, you yeah. put up like a year <laughs> on Instagram. That was dope, dude. I love my take on the Penguin. <laughs> I uh, that's too. not that's not what they're looking for, but. Um, Matt Reeves is pretty brilliant. Oh. Like whatever he is looking for is going to be dynamite. Yeah. Uh, and I love Colin Farrell. When Colin Farrell got the part, there was like, there wasn't real jealousy. It was more like that beautiful widow's peak <laughs> is going to light up the screen. I was excited for him. Yeah. You, uh, are you done with Cruella? I am. Okay. Thank God. It was three and a half months. That's <laughs> it's a, a big time, one. dude. I've never done that long. That's a huge studio movie, obviously, yeah. uh, with, uh, the great Emma Stone, you reteam with Craig Gillespie. I assume that's a big part of it. Big part of it. He just wanted to sign me on in, in the springtime and was like ready to throw me in the movie. And, and Disney's like, you need to audition. This is a massive movie. Right. And uh, we need to know he can do a 
British accent or something. So went in, auditioned, got the part, and then I also got the part for the Eastwood film at the same time, and they were shooting uh, over each other. It was like seven weeks of overlap, like something unforgivable. Like you can't make seven weeks yeah. of overlap. <laughs> You're like three days, maybe can, we can figure yeah, out. <laughs> you can maybe. I think like a week and a half is the cutoff for overlap where they'll they'll finagle. But right. uh, Emma ended up getting injured at some event or something. I don't even know the true story behind it. I didn't pry, but uh, she like broke her collarbone or something, and they needed like eight weeks to push. So after I wrapped Jewel. I went back to L.A. for about 72 hours, and then I was back on a plane to London for three and a half months. Right. Um, and that experience, by the way, the timing was laborious because it's like I just started an Eastwood film, and I got to go do, like, CGI stuff and, like, right. run around uh, reacting to things <laughs> that aren't there, you know, transformer acting. Right. But um, but the process, dude, Craig Gillespie, huh. Tony McNamara, and Dana Fox worked on the script and stuff, like. Yeah, Emma the Thompson. Emmas, yeah, the Emmas yeah. are there. Like, it was a great opportunity. I had a blast. And you now have not one but two Spike Lee films on the resume. What up? Pretty cool. What up? <laughs> I mean, that was the dream, too, with guys like Goodman. You see him in every Coen Brothers film, and right. you go, boy, I hope someone t- cool takes a liking to me someday. Okay, you know? there we go. Yeah. It might only be two, but I he is one of those guys, like, assuming he's not going to ask me to run around full frontal. Screaming obscenities at kids, like I'll probably do whatever he wants me to do when, when he picks up the phone. Don't put that idea in his mind. Might be. Uh, <laughs> don't put that idea in anyone's mind. Um, no, he called me. Oh, here's a great story. Yeah. I'll make it brief because uh, I don't know how much time you have. But I was in theaters seeing The Mule Christmas Day with my family last year. On Christmas Day, I got a text from Spike saying, check your email. I'm sending you a script. Uh, let me know what you think. And I, and I read it twice in a row that night, Christmas night, and hit him up and said, of course. Then I go and do Spike's movie in Thailand, and while I'm there, I get the call from Eastwood, or Eastwood's people saying he wants you for the movie. Right. And Richard Jewell comes out Friday, and it will reasonably, stands to reason that it'll last in theaters through the holidays. So, like, I was in the theater on Christmas Day watching The Mule with my family, and a year later, I'll probably be in the theater Christmas Day watching myself star in Clint's <laughs> new movie with my family. Like, that's how weird this business is. Yeah. The highs are so high, the lows are pretty low, and uh, the in-between is where most of us live. You know? What's the... So you secreted it into the universe, whether you meant to or not, Richard Jewell. What do we put out into the ether today. Oh, What's, wow. I mean, you're, you're manifesting your a own really stuff through writing. A really good presidential candidate Well, that's <laughs> that's How about that? How about we forget about my roles and we get someone I'm, in the White House who's not out of their fucking mind? I'm getting realistic about it. I don't know. <laughs> the world's ending, Paul. I don't know if you heard. Um, yeah, okay. So um, I'll put this into the the uni. Uh, I'll throw this at, at the Lord. I'll say uh, I want to... I want to direct my first feature the way Joan and Greta and all these wonderful actors have done. I want to uh, work with more great filmmakers like, you know, Adam McKay and Catherine Bigelow and cool people. And I want to love on the people I work with. I want them to feel seen and I want to make sure that I'm being a good listener when they have things to say or need to unload. And, uh, and I hope that I can be someone who is as impactful offset as they are on. This is a good checklist. I, I, yeah. I endorse all of these. Thanks, dude. Uh, it's good to see good things happening to good people. I can tell you're good people by 
your work, your choices, the people you're associating with, all the people that you become buddies with, they're all like decent, good people. Yeah, um, I so, hope. I, I think so. Yeah, yeah, that, absolutely. Uh, congratulations on Richard Jewell and all your success, man. Hey, you're welcome here anytime, thank man. Thank you for the podcast. Uh, bless you. Bless your family and the holidays. I hope you have a blast. And, uh, and come visit set sometime too. I know you're holed up here, but if <laughs> I ever shoot out of my New York cage. or you're in LA, <laughs> just come hang out, man. I appreciate the yeah. offer. I'll take you up on that. Thanks, Thank bud. Later. And so ends another edition of Happy, Sad, Confused. Remember to review, rate, and subscribe to this show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm a big podcast person. I'm Daisy Ridley, and I definitely wasn't pressured to do this by Josh. <laughs>